Welcome to Micromobility, a podcast exploring the disruptive potential of lightweight utility vehicles. Using the history of computing as a framework, we examine how these technologies will upend everything we thought we knew about the future of urban transport. The host of the show is Horace Deju, founder of Asimco.com, and I'm his co-host, Oliver Bruce. Hey team, Oliver here. This week I interview Alpa Octum, CEO and founder of Marta. As far as I can tell, the largest micromobility operator in Turkey. I have long wanted to cover the Turkish micromobility market because it is such a large country and they are proportionately so underserved with transport options in their cities. Istanbul is considered to be one of the most congested cities in the world. So this was a great conversation and Alpa is a real go-getter in this space. I love this conversation, especially around funding and the importance of building micromobility models for the markets and the demographics that a company is operating in. Lots of lessons in there that I think are applicable to far wider than just the Turkish market. I'm actually interviewing Alpa at the Micromobility America conference, which is happening on the 15th and 16th of September, right when this podcast is going to be coming out. So hopefully we will see you there. And if not, we will have all of these conversations and videos coming out in the very near future. Thanks again. And with that, here is Alpa. Let's go. And welcome back to Micromobility. We have with us today Alpa Optum from Marty. How are you going today, Alpa? Uh, fantastic, Oliver. Thank you. Um, great to be here. It is quite late in Istanbul. It is quite early in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. We finally managed to find a time that could uh, we could we could get <laughs> online at the same time. Hey, well, look, it, it is such a pleasure to have you on because I've been really waiting for, you know, I've been, I've been really looking for someone to talk to about the Turkey micromobility situation. Situation, I say, is as if it's a thing. Yeah. I mean, I just hadn't realized how big Turkey was in the micromobility world. Like, Istanbul is one of the largest micromobility markets in the world from a city perspective. And you guys are, you know, one of the largest companies there at the moment. And so, and also, you know, you've got a very exciting and interesting story that you want to tell uh, to the rest of the world with the forthcoming listing on the NYSE. So, I wanted to, you know, just explore that a little bit. But Probably the best place to start is like, who are you and how did you come to be doing, like, what was your background that got you to doing micromobility and, and, and launching Marty in 2017, 2018? Sure. So I was born and raised in Istanbul. My father is like a small merchant. For people who have visited Istanbul before, you know, there's this, these little souvenir stores in the Grand Bazaar. A lot of little kids hustling and, you know, it's, it's a big market. It's, it's quite, quite exciting. Yep. It's the oldest market in the world, I believe. Yep. So I grew up there and then I went to, I grew up in my father's business really. And then I, I went to the University of Chicago. I finished the year early and then I went to London to get a master's. Hold up though. How does one go to the University of Chicago, finish early? Like, was there an amazing school in Istanbul that you managed to get into that like jumped, jumped you across? Oh yeah, exactly. You gave the right answer. So there's, you know, in a lot of these emerging markets, you have these like private high schools that send most of their students to universities abroad in the UK and the US. Yep. So I went to one of those and I was on a full scholarship um, and I was super lucky and I got into the University of Chicago. Yeah, cool. And then, yeah, I went on to the London School of Economics where I got a master's and then I tried banking in London for a little bit. Uh, I lasted only three months. Yep. And then I came back to Turkey originally to work at McKinsey. Right. Uh, but then, uh, you know, I, I switched uh, very early on and jumped onto the tech sector here. 
and I've been uh, in it ever since. And, you know, I've been basically dedicating my career to the tech industry here in Istanbul. Cool. And what's the, so what were you doing before you were doing uh, Marty? I was the chief operating officer at a company called Blue TV, which is, uh, which was like sort of Turkey's answer to Netflix. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I was there from the beginning. I also like, I, I, had, a, I had a bunch of gigs, right? I co-founded some companies. I worked at a couple. When Uber came here, I built an Uber fleet. You know, Uber had this interesting business model here where they, you know, had um, people build fleets for them and then rent them out. I did a lot of things. But I've been interested in the Turkish tech space and specifically Turkish transportation space, transportation tech space for over five, six years now. And we uh, sort of like started uh, with micromobility in 2018. And then we launched the company in 2019. Cool. And what was it about the 2018, 2019 period that changed, like, what did you, was it seeing other things around the world and just saying, hey, we can apply this here or there's something, you know, unique for Istanbul that you saw as an insight? Um, sure. So Turkey is very unique in the sense that it is the country where the local tech champion always wins, right? Like Amazon's been trying to break in here for five years now. They have 3% market share, but you have gigantic Turkish local e-commerce companies. You know, Kavak recently tried to come in. They're not doing really well. There's a local Turkish champion. Um, Uber tried to come in. They had to leave. Turkey breeds their own national tech giants. So with that in mind, when in 2018, when we thought we should start a mobility business and we were looking how to start, uh, we saw scooters. I was in Santa Monica at the time and I saw the early pilot uh, of Bird. Uh, I actually woke up one day and saw four scooters parked in front of my house. I was like, oh, this is interesting. It took me like a few minutes to understand what they were trying. And I looked up um, Travis Van Der Zanden's, you know LinkedIn profile and I said, this guy knows what he's doing, right? Um, he's trying something very interesting. Uh, so let me watch it very closely. And I did. And I realized that it was a brilliant business model if operated well. And came back to Istanbul and I said, this is an answer to Istanbul's traffic problems. You know, Istanbul's 20 million people around, around 20 million people. It is the largest city in Europe. The country's 85 million people. There's 10 or 11 cities that are more than a million people. So the solution for Turkey's, you know, traffic or, you know, general transportation woes could possibly and potentially be micromobility. That's what I thought. And I just went ahead and um, started building Marta and then it worked out quite well. So take me through the, I just want to go, before we go on about Marta, I want to just understand a bit more about that. The local, the local tech player always wins. Why is that in Turkey? It is, Turkey is a unique country in a lot of senses. It is a European country, but on the fringes, right? It is, an, it is a Middle Eastern country, but on the fringes. So it has a unique language, a unique way of doing business, has its own unique culture, has a very long history, right? So it, it, is, it is unique in a lot of senses, right? That's why I think it, it also um, works that way in business. You have to understand, and ne- understand how to navigate an emerging market to do well here. And you need to understand emerging markets really well to be able to navigate the business environment here, be it regulation, be it fundraising, all these things are unique to Turkey. That's a, a, is there also local regulations in terms of tariffs or other things that would, that would also help protect local industries as well? Well, for our sector, I can tell you this. So in order for a company to have a micromobility license here in Turkey, you need to start producing 30% of your fleet locally manufacture 30% of your fleet locally here 
in Turkey starting in 2024. Right. So they gave the micromobility companies, you know, two years to adjust to that. Right. But if you want to be able to operate here past 2024, you need to build 30% of your fleet here in local Turkish factories. Right. Interesting. I also wonder about it as well because I know that Gitir, uh, who's one of the like the larger players in the in the early stage, uh, sorry, in the um, uh, kind of very fast delivery, is obviously also Turkish. I mean, it's oh, yeah, Turkey is it? It's it is interesting to see that there's a number of uh, Turkish companies that have like grown up and have started and started to like hit out. It's it, you know, it's a great story as you say uh, for for the Turkish tech sector. Um, it's growing significantly compared to other European markets, uh, and if you can adjust and adopt to uh, how things work here, um, you can be quite successful and, you know, be a very large company. So I believe like around 76% of the Turkish population is under the age of 50. So it's a, it's a very large market if you know what you're doing. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. Well, so that was the start of Marty and you put some some vehicles on the road initially. Did you like, where did you launch? How did it launch? Was it a, did you even need licenses at that stage when you, when you deployed in the first instance? Or was there a, you know, that kind of back and forth that we've seen with other companies in other countries and then municipalities kind of working through and saying, you know, we're here, we're early, we're trying to work out what the regulation is and there, you know, you're doing that dance with the regulators or were the regulators more proactive and forward facing? Well, I'll, I'll answer the first part of that question first. Sure. The major issue in Turkey is fundraising, right? The VC space here is not as not as large as it needs to be. Right. Okay. Right. So we had, you know, our seed round was less than half a million dollars, as opposed to you know the fifty million dollar rounds that you hear around the globe uh, for the larger companies to start. So we had to learn how to operate with that disadvantage, right? We didn't have the chance of you know let's scale, let's build something really big, and then we'll figure out margins later. Yep. So the company and the company culture is obsessed with positive margins. Right. They've been obsessed with proper operations, maintenance, you know, um, longer lifetimes for vehicles. Our entire design team is built around that. Right. And the average vehicle that the average vehicle that you know would profitably work in Europe or the United States would completely fail here. Right. As opposed to uh, the average vehicle here we use in Turkey would fail in Europe or the United States simply because. Due to um, purchasing power and um, labor cost differences, what you want and what you need uh, are very different here than in the Western world, right? Our vehicles require a lot of labor to maintain. We design them, right? They have very long lifetimes, but they're very labor intensive. Day. Um, they're not super so. Right. Day labor intensive. Yeah. Do you have things like, well, yeah, we'll get, we'll get to that as well. But yeah. So you started with those, you started with vehicles on the road. Were they custom built? Uh, those first ones or no? Not the first version, right? Yeah. But we immediately realized that we have to um, uh, build something very unique uh, for the Turkish market. And, you know, our secondary fleets that followed were mostly were designed in-house and manufactured, uh, assembled here in Turkey. That's because our teams, you know, generally the, the company realized that if we bought vehicles that were off the shelf, or, you know, just used as a shareable vehicle in Europe, they would not work here, right? This is unique because, again, you want some, you don't want a very sophisticated vehicle that self-diagnoses or a vehicle that has a very long range on one, you know, one charge. Uh, you, can, you can fix a lot of these things with uh, cheaper labor. So we have very rugged, we design very rugged, um, very basic machines that you can fix with a brick, but require a lot of labor to operate. And that's the... That's sort of like the secret sauce. We have a vertically integrated business model that doesn't exist elsewhere. 
So our the secret to our you know success is a bunch of bunch of things, but you know it's, there's no one answer. Yeah. Uh, but there are a few answers. One of them is unique designs that match Turkey's purchasing power and uh, labor costs. Mm-hmm. Secondly, very high very high market share. Thirdly, the fact that we are a multimodal company. We're not a scooter company, right? We have three different. Yeah, well, I wanted to, I wanted to get into that in a second, but but let's let's go to that. So, you started with scooters originally, and then you've moved very quickly on to e-bikes and e-mopeds, and then you're looking at other other vehicles as well, like small electric cars and that sort of stuff as well that are coming. But where are you? Like, how did that? How did that expand? Like, in terms of, you know, what's the overall percentage mix on the fleet at the moment? For those different types of vehicles um look we believe that a healthy mix of different modalities is complementary to both the different needs of the average consumer right people want to go different distances at different price points at different comfort levels and our you know our goal from day one was to be a you know one-stop shop for all mobility needs right we don't want to we don't want to just be a scooter rental company or we just don't want to be a moped rental company you want to take people from point a to point b in a shareable environmentally friendly economic and just fun way right and the, the answer to that to doing micro mobility successfully i believe is again a vertically integrated business model where you have high market share you have your multimodal and your vehicles are adapted exactly to the market you're operating in so there's no one vehicle that can be operated everywhere around the world Every market has different labor costs. Every market has different challenges. You have to adapt your fleet, your design, your you know software, everything, your operations around the cities that you're operating in. So our our our, our strategy was not to you know expand globally, but you know delve in really vertically into this market. Yep. Yeah. No. And I get that for sure. But if you so if you look at it now, what would be the percentage of uh, vehicles on the fleet in terms of scooters, mopeds, uh, and and e-bikes? Look, uh, today we have 46,000 vehicles. Yep. And, you know, after the DSPAC merger, we are planning to take it to over 100,000. Yep. But, you know, we are significantly, you know, we, we spend a lot of attention and a lot of time on building different fleets, trying to, you know, test a lot of different modalities on the streets. And when we find something that works, we scale, right? Thus far, we have successfully scaled three different types of vehicles and multiple different fleets. Um, you know, around half our vehicles are manufactured or, you know, assembled locally here in Turkey. Sure. But, you know, the, 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 the software is completely in-house, right? The IoT modules were completely built in-house until like a year ago where we, when we started outsourcing. So the entire tech set is built in-house. Um, that includes, again, hardware design and all of software. Sure, sure. I, I get all of that. And then... But if you if you were to break it down, <laughs> I guess the reason I'm asking about the mopeds and the and the e-bikes and the scooters is just to understand it's like, you know, you've got different you've got different. You want numbers, Oliver? I'll give you numbers. Well, I, I want numbers because I think that numbers are just interesting. You know, forty six thousand is like makes you one of the largest fleets uh, around the world. Yes, and you happen to be in one country. I just think it's like it's an interesting story. I'm just curious as to how that actually breaks down. And the other, the I'll follow up after this as well because I think there's an interesting story that you 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 say there about the you know the low cost of labor yeah. and the vehicles. But yeah, so uh, right now sixty to seventy percent of our fleet is e scooters, right? Our projections for the year 2023 are uh, to, you know, average deployed vehicles uh, to be 67%. 
sorry, 67,000 vehicles, 31 of which are e-bikes, 10 of which are e-mopeds, and 26 of which are e-scooters. Yeah, awesome. Okay, brilliant. It, I just find it fascinating as a, as a uh, like when we think about that and, and, and saying, you know, you're one of the few operators who have kind of everything. That like how those numbers tend typically break down. Like, what what numbers do you need for for a for a city between something that do, goes like short distances, something that goes moderate distances, and something that goes long distances? And I think it's you know reflective as you'd expect, you know. And and look look, it's it's distances, it's different price points, and it's different comfort levels, right? Just look, the modern internal combustion engine car is a dual machine, right? You can you can go hundreds of miles on a road trip, or you can do a two-mile trip to your local local shop, right? Yes. Since it's designed both to carry one person from point A to point B and to carry a you know, five-people family uh, a thousand miles, it is designed to be this one optimal machine. That needs to be broken down, right? You can... Uh, I mean, you're preaching to the choir here. I mean, this is exactly how we've been thinking about it too. So yeah, no, I hear you. Exactly. I hear you. So so, so we're what we're doing is, you know, we are analyzing car trips, breaking, down, breaking them down, you know, statistically into different segments, right? And then we're targeting each segment with a different machine, different, different uh, form factor. And if we see that it works for that specific distance, that specific comfort level, we go for it. Yeah. Right? That's why, you know... A micromobility company cannot be a single form factor company. Yep. That's just not going to work. I agree. We don't believe that. No, no, no. We I, believe that you need to be. Yeah, it's it's fascinating that you go with that, like that you end up. I mean, I know that you're positioning yourselves as a, as a super mobility app. And I think that there's, you know, I was at Uber. That was kind of obviously what we did, but we did it just with cars. And then we were trying to add, you know, micromobility to it later. I think that that that's the most logical solution is like if you can go there. I, I um, The reason why we picked scooters first is because they are the cheapest to scale with. Sure. Right? I mean, a, a, an e-bike or an e-moped is more expensive than a scooter. The scooter is the cheapest form factor that you can scale with. And given the challenges of fundraising here in Turkey, uh, we thought we should absolutely go with the cheapest vehicle that we can scale with. Yeah. Because scale, scale is very important in this business. Sure. I want to go back to that initial point that you said around, you know, you've got these you've optimized for a different thing within your market, which is that you've got a vehicle that's robust, but cheap because labor is cheap in Turkey. So what's the average income in Turkey? And then what do you think that kind of the lessons might be for micromobility and other markets with low labor costs for, you know, like like the adoption of lightweight electric vehicles and where, where, where that, where the world's going to go. Um, look, we believe that everything on wheels will be electric, and everything electric will be shareable. So with that in mind, when we started building Marta, we knew for a fact that we wanted to build, again, a one-stop shop for all mobility and movement needs within an urban setting. So once you start thinking along those lines and you pick a market that you focus in, you care a lot about your market share and the vehicle's profitability. You know, unlike our global peers, we don't, we don't, you know, we don't lose money, we make money. Right? We are a EBITDA positive business. We have been for a while now. And we are certainly on the path to having even more EBITDA margins. It's because, again, we our vehicles are specific, our strategy is specific. And even within Turkey, our strategy per city is very specific. Sure, sure. I, I guess the question that I have is, with the vehicles, can you talk me through what the 
you know, what's different about a scooter that's built for Turkey versus a scooter that's built for Germany or the standard Okai, you know, the standard Okai model that uh, Tia started deploying with it? Look, we have, we have those as well. We have those standard, you know, um, scooters that are used in Europe as well, right? But we experiment, uh, you know, whenever we're talking to a manufacturer, we want something, you know, very specific things about the vehicle. The design is very unique to us. Um, again, around half our fleet of scooters is designed in-house and assembled in-house and built in-house. We have this, you know, um, 9,000 meter square factory on the outskirts of Istanbul where we, you know, do our own R&D. We do our own assembly. We do um, our own recycling. So that's very important as well, right? We don't throw away anything. So since, again, labor costs are different, when a vehicle is about to be retired, we, you know, send it back to our factory. It's completely disassembled. Every single part on the bomb list, you know, bill of materials list is checked. And if anything is reusable, if anything is in good condition, it is taken apart, refurbished, and then set back on the field as spare parts. So we call it cannibalization, right? We don't, we don't retire vehicles, we cannibalize them. So when we say this vehicle's over, right? It's been, it's been a while now, it needs to be retired. We send it back, completely take it apart, look at every single piece and say, hey, look, this brake cable is still usable. Send it back. Sure, sure. Right? And, and you, you can only do that if you are a single country focused company uh, that, again, is obsessed with operations and margins. Yeah, so I'm very curious about that part. I mean, the the building, the, the, like an operationally very efficient business, like the people that I've seen who have done that in this space, I think have been very good. Like one of the things I was very impressed with the Lawrence Lushner from Tia from like very early on is that Tia was, uh, they, I mean, let's put it this way. In the context of the Americans who were raising hundreds of millions of dollars, like Tia managed to build a really substantial business. They've subsequently gone on to raise a lot of money, but like, you know, the, the whole industry, I feel like the one that'll, the ones that the companies that will win in this space are the ones that are incredibly efficient. And as you say, you know, like have been built, have been in some ways either built with the constraints of no capital, because that's where I think you've come from, or they were just focused on that stuff from the beginning, which I think has been some of the European operators who didn't have the, who didn't have that capital deployment, you know, like you've gone on to subsequently raise quite a bit of money. So Talk, talk me through like what the journey has been to date for you between like, hey, we we launched our first scooter in one city with $500,000 on the ground to, okay, we've raised, you know, tens of millions and we're about to go on to the NYSE. The way I see it, oh, actually, I'll give you an example. Sure. Um, so today when I was, you know, it's, it's 10.45 in the evening here in Istanbul and I was driving to the office, stuck in traffic for hours today to come do this podcast with you. And I was, you know, I was like, let me listen to a couple podcasts that, you know, micro mobility industries has done before. So I, you know, I'm more used to this conversation, right? Everybody does it. Sure. And, you know, I came across the one you did with Travis Van Der Zanden. Um, I don't think you were, I don't think you were on it. Right. Yeah. I, I believe your colleague was. Yeah, yeah. It was Horace. No, no, that was Horace. Yeah. So they're yeah. talking about their backgrounds in telecom. They're talking about, you know, cell phones. With Horace was at Nokia, I believe. And Travis was at Qualcomm, something like that. He was. And they're talking about how the cell phone industry evolved from what it was initially to something completely different, especially given the iPhone. But, you know, Travis was at the, you know, and, and Horace were at the, you know, earlier stages of it working on apps, but they were only multimedia images, ringtone, stuff like that, right? So the way I saw it at the beginning was, you know, when I saw scooters in the US, is that this is a brilliant idea, but 
you cannot just barge into it. You need to figure out a very solid strategy and build a foundation for your business to you know, eventually become profitable. And our solution was, again, look, our set of circumstances are very unique. If we took the European or the American model and applied it here, we're definitely going to fail. So we need to come up with something very unique, unique to this market, and understand the local challenges and build accordingly. Given, again, capital constraints, labor costs, the vehicles have to be different. The mixture of vehicles have to be different. We cannot be, again, single, single form factor. So um, when we started, we knew exactly what we were going to do. When it, when, it, when it came to scaling, being singly, single country focused, vertically integrated, we always knew that we were going to do in-house design and assembly, at least for a significant part of our vehicles. And all those things you know, made Marta what it is today. Investors initially, you know, it is very hard to raise capital here. There isn't much to go around. So um, the, in the early stages, it was, it was much slower. But then when people, figured, people realized you know, our, our hypothesis was correct, and that, you know, the path to profitability or, you know, having positive EBITDA is through the hypothesis that we had. And we proved it step by step by step. People started giving us more money and people started believing in us. And, you know, we ended up here. Awesome. Because how much money have you raised in total to date? I, it is, it is um, close to $100 million. And you're about to go uh, live via a SPAC on the NYSE through Galata, who's a, who's a, like a, a spec company, but it's run as far as I can tell by, by folks who are based in Turkey, right? So it's a, it's a, is it a Turkish spec or is a, it's an American spec. It just so happens to have a focus on Turkey. So Galata actually is the, is, is, is a neighborhood here in Turkey. So it is named after a neighborhood here in Turkey. So the spec was built. Ah, right. Okay. Yeah. Yep. You know, there's the Turkish soccer team Galatasaray, right? As you would say it in Turkey, it's Galatasaray. Uh, it is team of that neighborhood the symbol of istanbul if you look at pictures you'll see galata tower so it is that that name is is a very turkish name um it's because the team that built it um really understand turkey so the chief investment officer daniel freifeld um worked here for a decade i believe uh he's, he's fully american right he grew up in boston yep. and he's the he's the you know uh head of uh the american you know emerging markets hedge fund callaway capital but he worked in Turkey for 10 years for the State Department, etc. Um, and he understands Turkey really well. He speaks the language. So the, the Galata team has you know, a lot of experience in financial markets in the U.S. as well as knowing and understanding the Turkish market really well. So it was a perfect match to team up with them. Awesome. And they're a fairly substantially sized operation in terms of what they're, they're bringing, what, in a couple of hundred million uh, sorry, not couple, uh, 350 million, 400 million. That, but the overall plan is for it to, for you guys to just take cash uh, with the cash injection and be able to scale very substantially. So at the moment you've got, you know, 65,000 vehicles, you're meant to double that within a year and then be able to grow out from there. I mean, this is, I think one of these stories that uh, we've seen a couple of companies go public in, in micromobility. We've seen sure. uh, Bird go public. We've seen Halbers go public. And both of those have really underperformed the market. Like, how how do you think about that relative to, you know, like where we are today, where you think the market will be going in like six months or 12 months? Are you worried about that? I mean, obviously, you're about to go do it. So I take it you're not that worried. <laughs> well, uh, that's that's two questions combined into one. So I'll address them separately. Sure. I'll, I'll try to address them separately. The first one is... We are different because our strategy is different and we are profitable. 
right? Yeah. Uh, we don't lose money, we make money. That is a big difference, right? We have uh, been focusing on unit profitability from day one. Our unit economics has been, dirty, has been working for a while now. We did not raise substantial amounts of cash, scaled, and then tried to be profitable. We didn't have money, so we, were pro- we had to be profitable from very early on to be able to find the money to scale. So natural selection come through us fairly early on, right? So, you know, our difference or, you know, what we, what we, uh, why we're confident is because we, we, we have solid operations and we're profitable and we, you know, project to be EBITDA positive uh, from now on as well, right? That's a big difference. Secondly, when it comes to SPACs, um, they get a bad rap nowadays. But let's not forget that, you know, these SPAC mergers is just a method of going public, Right. Sure. Of course it is. It's, yeah. it's, it's, you know, you can do a traditional IPO or you can do a DSPAC merger. Those are methods, means to an end. At the end of the day, you have a company that is listed on a public stock exchange. Right. So it's, 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 it's like this. You um, go to a coffee shop, you, you know, for the first time you try it, you drink the coffee and you say this coffee is horrible. You don't blame the cup. It's the coffee that's the problem. Yes. Right. Or you go into it or you go into a new coffee shop and you love the coffee. You don't, you, you know, you don't love the coffee because the cup is great. It's because the coffee is great. So, um, sure. So, it's a, it's a very simple thing, really. If the company's, if the company's solid, if the operations are solid, if you know what you're doing, if you understand your strategy and you're applying it well, if you're good at execution, if your uh, economics works, you know how to scale. Um, it's just good coffee, man. We hope that everybody will drink it. That's the that's the idea behind it. Yeah. <laughs> The, the vision, the, vi- the vision, yeah. the vision yeah. is, look, the vision is these pack merger is just a method, right? And we believe that it's the right method for us. Mm-hmm. And um, with that method, we will, you know, we will try, we, we, our goal is to be public in Q4 2022. And after that, the numbers uh, we believe are successful enough to carry us on. Sure. Talk me through the the capacity to expand, because this has been the big, I think the big problem that like Bird and Halber's less so how but definitely more bird have faced which is that they've reached a kind of like regulatory cap in terms of how big that they can expand right so the way that most cities regulate around the world is that you 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 get in what is the is the question right no no so they've obviously done scooters and they you know they started getting into e-bikes and i think that was part of their expansion plan because it does allow you to get more vehicles on the road right but like the big problem that they've had or had one, I think they just waste raised way too much money way too quickly without the unit economics working. And I 100% get your point there. That I think is absolutely fair. The second, though, is that they ended up with a with a challenged growth story because they were like, we want to, you know, double the size of the fleet in our cities. And cities were like, well, look, it's enough of a thing for us to kind of get to this point. We can't put any more scooters on the road for you in any of these markets that you're in uh, because we're getting substantial pushback on the number of scooters that are already out. So curious for you, like, is that, is, you know, how, how do you think about that part of the growth story? Because like, the one thing that I will say, by the way, is that your usage stats for your vehicles are really, really, really like they're very, very comfortable relative to everybody else in the market. Like you're doing way more trips per day on your vehicles than, for example, birders. So in that regard, you're running a way better business. But I'm just, you know, from a growth perspective, how do you think about it? There's a very simple answer to that question. Turkey is the only G20 economy in the world without a mobility super app. Sure. So um, countries like Indonesia, Brazil, 
India have these giant, giant com companies uh, worth billions that are mobility supraps. Turkey just doesn't. It's an 85 million people country with a 20 million you know, people city. It is the largest in Europe and there's no mobility superapp. So we are not trying to be a micro-mobility only company, right? Okay, we are a, we're trying to be a mobility superapp. So the, you know, the, in the original home markets of um, you know, the companies that you mentioned, they, can, they have to expand horizontally across different cities and different you know, countries because the value chain is crowded with tens of companies, if not hundreds, that, are, you know, that have raised more than $100 million. Sure. Right? You cannot go up or down, up or down the value chain. Marta is not, is not a purely scooter rental or e-bike rental or e-moped rental company. Yep. We are Turkey's, we are trying to be Turkey's mobility super app. That is the goal. So when you say these companies hit certain obstacles in growth in their home markets, yeah, that's because they, you know, if you look at a lot of these companies, they do one form factor at, a, at an extreme, like a very large portion of their fleets is one form factor. With us, you're trying to come up with different vehicles, different services, nonstop to build a mobility super app. That's the difference. I hear you. Yeah, no, no, I think that's a fair, that's a fair, fair point. The, I mean, I can see that there's heap more verticals you could get into or, like after this, which is, there's a lot of tangential ones like car sharing, for example, or even going into ride hailing. And it's, it's like the idea that you're like, I need to move myself from one place to another. You just open your app and exactly you, you sort it out. I mean, that's what Uber was trying to be. I, I get that. I, I, I can see where they, where the angle is there. You you mentioned in the in your in your prospectus for NYSE that you're you're obviously looking at getting into cars as well. Can you take me through how you're thinking about that part? Are you are you looking at like standard cars, different cars? Is there a new type of vehicle that you'd be looking to get into? Would you try and stay in a micro mobility style car, or are you? It can be anything. First of all, I can you know um, there are, I can give you a very detailed answer, but just for the basics, right? Um, me and my sister, who's my co-founder, sure, um, we are. I believe what you would say, very idealistic environmentalists, right? Mm -hmm. Look, my sister only wears secondhand clothes. She's a vegan. I, I own two pairs of pants, you know, five shirts. That's it. I have, a, you know, I have an earth tattoo on my chest. There's a lot of, you know, like this is a lifestyle for us, right? I like, I, I, you know, I have a lot of adaptive dogs. I go camping every weekend. It is since, you know, our teenage years, this has been a very important value for our, for our family. So don't expect anything from us that is, you know, um, internal combustion and shareable or anything like that. Right. Uh, so the goal here is the, the ultimate goal. Yes, we want to build a very big company. Yes, we want to, you know, make sure that our margins work. Yes, we want to make sure that our, you know, um, investors are happy. We want to build the largest fleets. We want to grow really fast. We want to do all those things, right? But let's not forget that, you know, there's, there's, Climate change, uh, the earth, the world is in crises, and we are very conscious and very careful about that. That is very important to us. Uh, so when it comes to cars, car sharing, because there are a lot of different business models out there, right? You know it as well as I do. Everybody's trying a different thing. Um, so we believe, again, that everything will be electric and everything electric will be shareable. So um, that's why, and, and look, we are trying tens of different models all the time testing them on the field. And that, is, that, has been to, that has been the secret to our success. We don't like just buy whatever the highest, the best model that you know, one of the largest producers are producing and just throw them on the streets. We look at them, we tune them, we build our operations around them, 
we change certain things, we play around with them, we test. Again, look, I'm in the office, I go out, I turn left, there is this, you know, we have this area where you have like close to 300 uh, different uh, vehicles that have been tested on the field. So we, yeah, so it's all about, it's all about like, when we find the right vehicle, we know it, and we're constantly innovating and looking for um, the right vehicle that will be profitable, that will solve problems, that will solve tra traffic, that will, you know, be, be very um, beneficial for the environment and the world in general. Sure. I hear you. Okay, I can see a world in which you, the, those things happen. I, like, I've never been to Turkey, so I've never been to Istanbul. Uh, I assume... You're missing out. Yeah, well, look, don't worry, man. I'm the, This is one of the places that I really want to go. Uh, I, I uh, yeah, it's on my list. Look, we'll host you, man. Just jump on a plane. Thank you. Appreciate it. The one thing that I, you know, I'm very curious about is, so, like, I don't understand what the streets are like. I assume that there is no set-aside infrastructure for people riding micromobility. It's like, like, where do people ride on the street? Do you have bike lanes in Istanbul? Do you have, that, like, is that a thing? Um, first of all, Istanbul is very unique in um, a couple of geographical factors. Yep. Um, it is 20 million people, but it is divided by the Bosphorus. Yes. The Bosphorus is this large connection between the Black Sea and, you know, the Mar the Sea of Marmara, which is like a internal sea, and then the Aegean Sea, which is the, the Mediterranean, right? Sure. So it is like a mile, mile and a half width straight that goes through the city, right? So that's one. The second water obstacle is the Golden Horn, which again divides the European part of the city into two. And then the city is built on very steep hills. It is uh, to the tune of San Francisco. Right. And so there's, there's no one city center. I can name you 10. Right. Catch you. So it is 10 cities within one. And again, every little bit of the city has different purchasing power, different you know, um, steepness of hills, different usage statistics. So we not only tune our vehicles or our operations based on different cities, we tune them within Istanbul as well. So um, it is a very unique city and it takes a local company to figure out how to operate it. Sure, no, and, I, and I get that. I'm just curious about like, what is the, because, okay, I'll, I'll contextualize it in this, which is, I assume Turkey, similar to a lot of other countries is saying, hey, we want to be able to work out how to get people out of their cars. Because it's like, you've got 20 million people in a city, you can't build car-centric infrastructure. Like, I know- th What is your go-to um, website or statistic provider for traffic index around the world? Do you use TomTom? What do you look at? Yeah, yeah, no, I know. Istanbul is like the worst, right? It's it's like twice number one. Yeah, yeah, right. Like worst. Well, it's it's, it's up. Look, it's it it's is, like you and Jakarta, you know. It, it, <laughs> yeah, and Cairo and Moscow. Yeah, like yeah. look, yeah, it is. You, I hope you come here. I sincerely do. Yeah, right. It is. Yeah. To me, it is the most beautiful place in the world. Um, it is just the geography is fantastic and phenomenal. It is just a beauty on its own, but it's transportation due to its unique challenges has been problematic it's very expensive to dig metro here for example because of hills right however much money you throw at it it is much more expensive than building subway systems in other large cities it is it is has, istanbul has its own unique challenges so yeah a beautiful city like this being tormented by the worst traffic in the world is despicable it is upsetting sure and I hear you on that, but I. But my question is then, how does it? How do? How does that necessarily translate through into infrastructure that works for your vehicles, for example? Because this is the one thing that I've I've really noticed in spending time. Like it's hard enough in places that are like in theory nice democracies that have got their 
you know, like Europe is probably the most advanced places like the US, for example, you just can't like, you can't even remove car parking on the side of the road. Like there's just no bet, you know, it's the battle of, 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 of like, you know, you're going to be spending years to be able to do this sort of stuff. So I'm just curious as to whether or not like Istanbul works differently and there is plans to build infrastructure for bike lanes and that sort of stuff. And that, and that's, Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. The bike lane infrastructure is growing day by day. It's certainly a priority for uh, the government, both local and central, right? With our success, I believe we have made transportation a star of the Turkish tech ecosystem. And given the surge in demand post-pandemic, I think the government is very happy to help building infrastructure around, you know, electric and shared vehicles. So we are, you know, we're constantly working. We believe I know we believe local governments and the central government to be our partners in this, right? We're constantly updating them. We're working with them to solve the last mile needs of the millions of people that are in Turkey. So um, the infrastructure is growing, but, you know, demand is not the problem. Usage is not the problem. Mm, mm. Um, it is certainly there. Well, I can imagine it is as well, only only because, as you say, if you don't, if you have a city that like the only options for getting around are you walk, you hop in a car, but it takes forever to get anywhere, or there's no subway because the subways are really expensive to build and very slow to operate. I mean, I know you've got a big subway infrastructure build program that you've got going on, and it's made it's amazing. Like, oh, we do, we do, but like it's a it's a twenty million people city. I believe Istanbul Metro was I need to check this, but the second in the world after Paris be built right so it started in the 1800s however again it is very expensive to build metro and subway here so it is not where it needs to be it'll get there right but once it does it's going to be much better um so i can i can give you one statistic that is you know sort of uh shocking to a lot of people really is you know our leisure rides are only eight percent of the rides in total yeah i did notice that yeah i did notice that so in the yeah it's like what uh, 80% are doing commutes. Um, yeah, but more importantly, 92% are doing commutes, but 31% are using it as a first and last mile commute to a public transportation stop. Right. 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 And 61% is just general commute. Yeah. Yeah. That is fascinating. Excellent. Well, look, I do have one final question and this is more just a general curiosity for me, but it's like, how, because one of the things that, I, that I've seen is that the Turkish lira has obviously been going through like a challenging year and a half or so with, in, in, in terms of, um, you know, being volatile relative to other currencies. How does, how does that impact on you on a day-to-day basis as someone who just lives in, lives in is trying to run a business in Turkey? Um, very, very good question. Um, so um, Turkey imports nearly all of its oil, right? So gas prices thus are very highly correlated with the dollar TL rate. So once there's a move in that, transportation prices in general are the first to adjust immediately overnight. So Turkish people historically have been very used to price fluctuations in you know gas prices and transportation prices in general. So um, inflationary pressures are not felt that badly in transportation. So we certainly have pricing power when it comes to fixing our prices with uh, the change in costs due to the dollar TL exchange rate. Yeah, 
Yeah. So that's that's not that's not an issue. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Because what percentage? Of, I mean, in terms of your vehicles that you 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 import and and that sort of thing, I take it that that you're you're importing it you know irregularly. It doesn't necessarily impact on a day to day basis. For example, like as it would if you were importing oil or uh, having to pay for power or all that sort of stuff. Uh, do do you are you guys facing similar issues with gas supply for in Turkey as what the rest of Europe is? Not not my area of expertise. Okay. Uh, but I can but I can tell you this. Um, I can tell you a little bit about my area of expertise, which is global supply chains have been um, you know extended to a breaking point past pandemic. Yes. So it is very hard to find any type of equipment anywhere around the world. Right. There are delays in pretty much every sector, and micromobility has certainly been hit by that you know supply chain issues as well. Like you know, the chip shortage has significantly affected us. Lead times are longer now. Finding vehicles are tougher. Right. Uh, but when it comes to gas, I haven't I've never experienced any type of shortage in Turkey ever. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Cool. Hey, well, look, it's a real pleasure to have you on. I'm really looking forward to getting this out because we also get to join each other on stage. Uh, I'll be joining you on stage in Micromobility America. Uh, really, really looking forward to having uh, that conversation, I think. We got a we got a, a a great and punchy uh, uh, interview uh, that we can we can do there. You know you know you know what we didn't you know what we didn't get to talk about. What was that? I sometimes watch um, rugby, and I'm a big fan of yeah. All Blacks, <laughs> like the yeah. The, what you, call, you guys call them All Blacks, right? Yeah, yeah, the All Blacks, the New Zealand rugby team. Yeah, for sure. Who are no longer yeah, the world's yeah. best. We need to talk about that as well. Yeah, I know they're no longer the world's best. It's a, it's a, it's a pain. It's a point of national uh, shame at the moment. Um, they 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 lost to the Australians. It's like it's the worst thing ever, you know. <laughs> it's it's yeah yeah. I, I, <laughs> but let's say hi to all the Kiwis listening in on this as well, right? Yeah 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 um yeah. And again again, all your look, Turkey is a great place to visit. Amazing tourism, beautiful country. So whoever's listening us out there in Oceania. Australia or New Zealand or whatever yes. in your time zone. Yes. Always welcome. Hey, thank you. Uh, please come visit us. Yeah. And use our use our micromobility vehicle. Oh, for sure. Yeah. No. I mean, I, I look. I hope to be one of them. Um, I I have yeah. I have grand plans to be able to get to to Turkey. And everybody everybody from New Zealand who goes to Turkey just says it's, it's the best uh, experience out. So we are known for our hospitality. Yeah. 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 Well, look. I'm looking forward to having you uh, on 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 stage with me, or I get to be on stage with you. Absolutely. In uh, in in San Francisco in a couple of weeks and for folks who want to find out more about what you guys are doing forgive me i was calling it marty it's marta 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 okay marta 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 okay (laughs) and that's um again the 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 kiwi twang yeah yeah um and and that's just marta.tech right if they're if they're interested in tracking that down and uh exactly yeah yeah Yeah, you can you can see those uh details about the vehicle there's also uh, if folks are interested in checking this out um from you know not investment advice all that sort of stuff but there is prospectuses for the nyc uh listing that are available online as well which are definitely an interesting read if you're interested in uh micromobility businesses that are operating in places like Turkey. So thank you, Elpa. I really appreciate this. This has been a great interview and um, I, I certainly have learned a lot. I think the it's a space to watch and, and I think you're really approaching it in the right way. Like it's, um, you know, it's been one of these things of, I've talked to a lot of founders over the years of shared micromobility companies and I think you're, you're talking about all the right things uh, in terms of how to run a business though. Uh, great to have a chance to unpack it. Thank you. Thank you, Oliver. Yeah. It's a pleasure to meet you and uh, you know, hope to see you in San Francisco real soon. Sounds, sounds great. Awesome. <laughs>